factor. I mean, when you look at the fact that rent has increased over 30% in Oklahoma City just this past year, um, meanwhile, wages aren't going up to match that. And so it's reasonable con- to conclude that, you know, more people are being evicted, more people are having to move in with family and friends or just in desperate situations. So I think that the numbers are going to continue to grow. Um, and it's just, you know, a full-blown crisis when it comes to homelessness and housing insecurity right now. Welcome back to Knowledge Brews Supreme, the show that percolates your creativity. And it is I, your host, Dr. John Chansey, and I am back and better than ever. Before we begin today's episode, here is a quick ad from new show sponsor, Sleeves Sold Separately. Greetings. This is Dr. John Chansey, host of Knowledge Brew Supreme, and I'm here to tell you about one of my favorite products in the fitness game, our new show sponsor, Sleeves Sold Separately. Sleeves Sold Separately is a brand of athleisure clothing for men who train hard and also want to look good while doing so. The clothes that these wonderful folks make are an absolute game changer. Their products are designed and manufactured in the United States, out in Los Angeles, and they are shipped directly to your home. Sleeve Sold Separately offers a wide variety of athleisure clothing, such as the Wife Lover tank top, their classic sleeveless hoodie, their lunge man shorts that come in both four and six inch seams, and so much more. My personal favorite from Sleeve Sold Separately is their take on the classic jogger bottoms, except theirs is called the Sprinter. Sprinters come in several colors, and even before they were a show sponsor of Knowledge Brew Supreme, I bought multiple pairs in black. I've got a gray pair, a teal pair of the Sprinters, and I wear these daily. Uh, So please check them out. Visit their website at sleevesoldseparately.com. My listeners of Knowledge Brew Supreme can get 15% off your order from Sleeve Sold Separately using the promo code KNOWLEDGE15. That's all one word, KNOWLEDGE15. So please check out Sleeve Sold Separately, use the promo code, and thank me later. Take care. Bye. My guests for today's show are Bailey Colbert from Community Solidarity Oklahoma City and Jessica Ann Laster from Sandwiches with Love. They are here on Knowledge Brew Supreme today to discuss the growing problem of unhoused people in Oklahoma City, the place that I call home. Um, So with that said, welcome to the show. Uh, Bailey, welcome, Jessica. How are you both doing today? I'm doing great. Of course. Happy to have you both here. Thank you so much and glad you're doing well. So to begin with, I kind of want to know about your two organizations. Like I was able to do a little bit of research on my own and look some things up, but I definitely want to hear it from the from the folks who are representing these organizations who are doing some wonderful stuff around Oklahoma City. So you know, I want to know about community solidarity, Oklahoma City and sandwiches with love. Like what do these organizations stand for? How did you each get involved? And maybe can you just give a little bit of background about yourself? So maybe we'll start with uh, we'll start with Bailey, then we'll go to Jessica. Okay, um, my name's Bailey. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I live with my girlfriend and our six pets. Um, I graduated from OU back in 2017 and all soon be going back for my master's um, to hopefully become a licensed counselor. And um, my goal would be to bring more of a decolonial and abolitionist view um, to the mental health field, because those type of practitioners are very much needed right now. Um, With that being said, uh, Community Solidarity started um, as an Instagram page with my partner and I, um, the goal was to raise class consciousness and to foster um, a sort of class solidarity in Oklahoma City. Um, 
we share a lot of communist um, propaganda, as you can tell. <laughs> and it was kind of my way of trying to connect with uh, like-minded individuals and existing organizations who are local to me and to try to begin to build some sort of collective of people in OKC with our liberation as a shared goal. Um, when it comes to what we stand for, we are anti-capitalist, anti-fascist, anti-racist. We are police and prison abolitionists, and we are vegan animal liberationists. So we've done um, a couple different mutual aid projects. Um, and right now we're working on trying to build a solid housing for all movement in Oklahoma City. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for being here. Jessica. Thank you for having me. Okay, um, my name's Jessica. I am a hairdresser by trade, but I struggled with addiction on and off um, as well as homelessness for over 20 years. And in that time, um, I really got to know what was happening in the community. Um, I had been sober about four years when I decided to go down to a homeless camp in Oklahoma City um, just to pass out some socks because we had had a cold snap in November and it was very surprising. And so I just figured people needed, you know, warm, clean socks. And um, I was just really shocked by how many people I, I saw out there. I mean, I knew that we had an issue, but I did not realize how big the issue was until I saw it with my own eyes. And that's where Sandwiches with Love was um, started. Um, I just reached out to the community and let people know what I experienced out there and told them I felt like I was called to do something about it. And, and we just started like that. We started going out every week, um, delivering food. And that's how it started. And then, you know, over time, we've been doing it for three years now. And so over time, we've, you know, recognized what works, what doesn't work. We've got to know so many people in the community. And um, we supply, uh, you know, tents and sleeping bags. We do hotels when the weather gets terrible. And about a year ago, we started a program that helps house people into sober living after they complete a treatment program. Oh, how cool. So just two absolutely wonderful organizations doing awesome stuff here in Oklahoma City. I, I just love it. And, you know, I mean, this is, you know, um, an issue that I have just sort of been observing from afar, you know, living here in Oklahoma City, but haven't really I didn't really know who to reach out to to talk about this. So I'm just happy to have two people, two different organizations kind of attacking this problem, you know, from different angles here uh, to help me and my listeners kind of learn more about this problem and what can be done. So one of the first things I'm really curious about um, is and this and this is, you know, my own ignorance here. But I noticed there's a change in the language of discussing individuals formerly would be referred to as homeless. Now we see a, a movement towards referring to these people as unhoused. Um, I, I was not aware of kind of when this happened. I just sort of noticed it within the discussion, kind of the public discussion. So I'm curious, like, help me understand the need for changing that language. Like, why the switch from describing someone as homeless versus unhoused? What does that change represent? Do you want to answer, okay. Bailey? Sure. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I, I don't see a huge difference in using the word homeless versus the word unhoused. Um, that's just obviously my opinion as someone who is housed. But I do think that um, people first, quote unquote, language is important. So, for example, instead of saying someone, a homeless person, you can say someone who is experiencing homelessness or see. people without housing or homes. And what this does is it centers people's humanity um, and it, it kind of gives the idea that, you know, of course, homelessness is not the totality of someone's identity. So it's just, you know, um, it's just a good way to use language as a affirmation that people who experience homelessness are people first and they are our equals. Um, and also, you know, language can be weaponized. Um, I've seen a couple of different articles recently referring to people experiencing homelessness as quote unquote transient people. And this might just be me personally, but 
I think that when you refer to someone as transient, it gives the idea that, you know, that just means they're passing through somewhere temporarily. So I think that that can give the impression, um, whether consciously or subconsciously, that these people are not actual members of our community um, or that even existing on the streets is a personal choice. Um, So that's the only thing that I would say with regards to language. And I also touched base on this just a couple of weeks ago because I have also been noticing um, people changing the language too. And um, I have mixed feelings about it because I work directly with the homeless community and I can tell you pretty much that they really probably don't care how you refer to them. They just want you to help them. Sure. And mm-hmm. there's such crisis happening mm-hmm. right now and and somebody that's living in a tent on the side of the road who is getting you know harassed by police on a very regular basis um they're really not concerned if you're calling them unhoused homeless transient they just need some help and sometimes i feel like we yeah. spend a lot of um trying to tiptoe around the situation like oh well let's be politically correct about how we address these people but like really not getting to the issues and really providing the help that's necessary sure sure that that's that's yeah i think there's yeah a lot of truth to that i i just was making sure i didn't want to i didn't want to step on toes or offend anybody by using you know one word or the other but so i'm happy for to hear some clarification on that and i think you're exactly right when you're on the street and, you know, you know, desperate for, you know, shelter, food, all of those things, I think maybe the term, you know, might not, not be all that important. The help is. Um, but I also kind of, I also think it was really interesting, you know, like Bailey said, how sometimes depending on how things are phrased, that can kind of be weaponized one way or the other. And so um, this, this kind of issue, the topic is really, um, is really interesting and seeing how the language is evolving is, is also interesting. So, Having both of you here on this topic, I'm really curious about because again, it's 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 an issue I don't know a ton about in terms of you know data or things like that. But I'm just curious, where are we currently at in Oklahoma City with the unhoused population? Like, do we have access to accurate numbers? Did that does are we seeing this on the rise? Like, I can see from my own perspective. Like, I used to live off. Uh, Penn and I-44, and it just seemed like there were more and more people kind of showing up in that area. But that's just my anecdotal evidence. I don't know what the actual data might suggest or what any information you all have encountered. So I'm curious um, kind of where things stand. So so the official count was, I believe, 1,300, and that was down um, about 300 people from the year before. Um, I am also super concerned with the accuracy of our data because just Mm -hmm. last week or two weeks ago, I heard one big agency um, state that they had housed 1,600 people within the last 12 months. Okay, that's 300 more than were officially counted. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, I am in the streets on a weekly basis, sometimes daily basis, and I have not anywhere seen a decrease in people living on the streets. It has done nothing but go up, go up, go up. And um, I also heard another agency state that 96% of the people that were housed remained housed for two years. And I also, you know, question that data because I see people and I have friends that work in the housing community and they're housing the same people five, six, sometimes seven times. And so I also question I mean, are we really getting an accurate count when they're counting the homeless? Because Also, there's so many people that are couch homeless. They're just couch surfing from place to place. And those people are really difficult to count. And so I'm not seeing a decrease. I work with chronically homeless on the streets and they suffer mostly from addiction and mental health. And I am not seeing them being housed and having it stick. They're right back where they were within months, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I I totally agree, Jessica, as far as like the accuracy of these numbers, like the numbers that they cite when it comes to these city council meetings and, you know, what the nonprofits want to put out there, it's not even close to an accurate representation of like how how bad the problem actually is. I mean, number one, the count that they conduct on a yearly basis is normally conducted between January and March. So obviously those are some of the coldest months of the year. Most people 
um, might be taking shelter. And also, like you mentioned, couch homeless. Um, I read something online that said that Oklahoma City Public Schools had counted over 2,000 children um, who were experiencing homelessness that were enrolled at the end of the school year, and majority of them were couch homeless. So when you think about how many people are staying in motels, um, treatment facilities, emergency rooms, on friends and family's couches, um, you know, uh, that just doesn't even give you an idea of how many people are truly um, experiencing homelessness and also just housing insecure. I mean, when you look at the fact that rent has increased over 30% in Oklahoma City just this past year. Um, meanwhile, wages aren't going up to match that. And so it's reasonable con to conclude that, you know, more people are being evicted, more people are having to move in with family and friends or just in desperate situations. So I think that the numbers are going to continue to grow. Um, and it's just, you know, a full-blown crisis when it comes to homelessness and housing insecurity right now. I agree completely. Absolute crisis. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what it definitely seems like kind of from the, the street perspective and then maybe looking at some of the numbers that may at best be very conservative in terms of the actual, you know, extent of the crisis. So now I'm just curious, you've mentioned, you know, a couple of agencies, you're also part of some really wonderful organizations that are trying to, you know, combat this issue directly. What I'm curious is, what resources are currently available for the unhoused? And then I, I'm assuming there is there's there's some kind of gap there, meaning there's still there's still things that need to be taken care of or done. So what resources are available currently and then what is still needed to maybe fill in some of those gaps? I'll let you go first with that, Jessica. Okay. Um, I mean, there are multiple agencies that I know of in the downtown area that provide meals. Um, we do have shelters, but lots of times my people that are trying to get into shelters are unsuccessful. Um, the shelters are full. Um, there's housing, you know, housing services. Um, it takes a long time. Um, I've had people with vouchers that were unable to find housing. Um, there's so many gaps. Um, what I really feel is missing the most is mental health and addiction services. Um, you know, we can house people all day long, but if they're not mentally stable or they're addicted um, and they lack the basic life skills needed to maintain that housing, I feel like we are just spinning our wheels. Um, that's, that's what I'm noticing. There's a, there's a lot of outreaches that go out into the streets and pass out things like zero degree sleep, zero degree sleeping bags and tents and medical supplies and dog food and all kinds of things that people need to survive on the streets. But the reality is, is the city goes through and lots of times they confiscate those items from the homeless and they're not allowed to set up camp. And um, so from an outreach perspective, it makes it really difficult because I feel that people that are living in the homeless camps are the most stable out of the community. Those are my people that are most likely to get a job. Those are my people most likely to be successful in housing. And when we go through and we strip them of everything that they've accomplished, it's like we're just starting over at ground zero. Yikes, that, that is awful to hear. Yeah, um, as far as like, I mean, we know that there's shelters, but there's only 850 shelter beds in OK City. And we, I mean, just going off of that conservative count alone, that's 1,300 people. So there's not nearly enough shelter beds. And I mean, Oklahoma City spends about 30 million a year on homelessness and shelters are the bulk majority of that cost. So it's like putting a Band-Aid on a gun, gunshot wound. I mean, we keep pouring money into this problem and it continues to get worse. Um, putting people into permanent housing is far cheaper than continuing to pour money into shelters. Um, the director of the Homeless Alliance, he said that an unsheltered person costs the city about $9,500 a year per person. Um, just with, you know, emergency room visits, contact with law enforcement, EMS, fire department, and other crisis centers. And he said, if we can house that person and provide those wraparound services, 
that would be about 5,500 per year. So almost half we would save on literally housing people. So it's like, even if you are, you know, fiscally conservative, I'm pretty sure taxpayers would rather use their money to just house everyone than to instead be paying double that and have a homelessness crisis and having all these crisis services and centers clogged up when we could just be keeping people safer by housing them. So, you know, we keep pouring all this money in um, and we just aren't addressing the root of the problem. Yeah, that's that's what it sounds like. Thirty million dollars and it's still not being solved. Like, yeah, that right. That economic argument alone, I feel like, should change everyone's mind on this topic. But I think the people we would probably want their minds to be changed don't always vote in their own best interest or the best interest of other people. So, wow, that is all. Glad to hear there are resources available, but the 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 vast you know sort of gap in those resources is a lot to be concerned about. Um, what really kind of got me to reach out specifically, I, I started reaching out to Community Solidarity Oklahoma City because I was just sort of, I think I can't remember where it was. Maybe somebody shared something you all posted, and it kind of just got me interested in in the things that you were putting out, but. I think it was last week, you know, we're recording this in early December, I think last week, um, late November, there were some best way I can put it is some shenanigans with our Oklahoma City Council, um, trying to make it more difficult for the unhoused population, I want to say they were making or basically criminalizing attempting to criminalize that, you know, uh, those people even more so. Um, so I only know a little bit about this subject. I know from what you all were able to share and kind of things I was able to look up on my own. But can you talk about what was happening, you know, recently with the Oklahoma City Council? Like what happened? I guess they didn't, they just, they didn't pass some of the things they were trying to pass, but obviously that's still concerning. So kind of where do we go from here? Yeah, so there were three city council members who wrote up this proposal, um, pretty much like making the trespassing laws a lot stricter um, in order to ban homeless encampments. It was, you know, um, the use of a heating device, um, any items that spread across like three feet by three feet um, on any sort of public property. And this is pretty sickening when you consider the fact that we're heading into winter. Um, you know, not to mention the fact that it's like, there's no shelter beds, you can't be on private property. And then what, then you can't be on public property. So it's like, you know, at the same time, you can't be surprised because the government, they mostly serve businesses and property owners. They don't work for poor people. So, you know, these people, when their business owning friends are like, hey, I'm tired of seeing all these homeless people around my business and driving down my property values, then these people are going to use their leverage um, to do completely abhorrent stuff like this. So, um, thankfully, you know, the ordinance was ended up being struck down after four hours of public comment. I mean, people came out in numbers, just like totally berating these officials. Um, and so they ended up striking it down, thankfully. Um, but one of the things that we can do is vote these people out. Um, the three people who drew up this proposal I mean obviously they need to be voted out I know that Mark Stonecipher he was the main guy on it and he's in Ward 8 and he has an opponent um, named Amy Ward she's an indigenous woman she believes in housing justice she's awesome and uh, I think the vote for city council is sometime in uh, February but you know beyond voting I mean we, we have to use this momentum to build a truly strong housing for all movement. So, um, you know, you can follow us on Instagram and connect people. We really just need to be talking and figuring out how we can use our different set of skills to reach more people and just raise the consciousness on this issue so that we can like mobilize people towards the cause of housing everybody. Go ahead, Jessica. Do you have something you wanted to add to that? Um, yeah, I just, you know, they already kind of do the things under the table that they were wanting to legalize, okay? Um, camping is not legal. 
it is illegal to um, live without running water. That's against the county health code. And wow. so I've even like, I have personally really wanted to build some kind of safe campgrounds for the homeless. Okay. People that uh, there are so many reasons why people don't seek shelter. Um, besides the fact that there's no beds available, even if there were beds available, there are people who refuse to live among other people. They have animals. There's all kinds of different reasons. So what I would really love to see is a designated area where people are allowed to camp. Okay. We could like put porta potties on there and dumpsters. Um, you could even hire security. I mean, I just think about, you know, I started doing outreach in 2019. And so just from like the statistic that Bailey said, there's been over $120 million spent in the last four years and nothing's changing. And we're not, you know, coming up with any kind of new game plan. I, I know for a fact that people that are in the homeless camps, they just want to be left alone. And if they had a place where they were designated, able to be, it would make the situation, they would be so much more likely to get on their feet because stripping people of all, like I have had um, people that I worked with, like this one man, he went to the hospital, he had a heart attack and he broke his hand and he had to get a cast, was at the hospital one day, his camp got bulldozed while he was at the hospital. With that happening, he lost all his important papers. He lost his food stamp card. I don't know how many hours we spent on the phone trying to get his food stamp card replaced. And then on top of that, he doesn't have an address for a new one to be mailed. Just little things that nobody even considers or thinks about when they're telling these camps, you can't be here. You need to move. Okay, where am I supposed to go? I don't know, but you can't be here. And then they'll follow them to the next place and say, you can't be here either. And I just feel like as a city, we could really make a lot of progress if we could designate an area that people are allowed to be. Yeah, I, I yeah, that makes absolutely no sense if all of these laws are in place and, and that prohibit people from just basically living, just being people and Exist yeah existing and then there's no alternative i guess well there is i mean if it were up to certain officials it would be the county jail perhaps you know i mean that's that's the alternative and that is really really grim um that's a very grim prospect so all right with that i want to take a short break to hear from our other show sponsor barnana snacks we'll be back with more of this conversation on homelessness in oklahoma city all right, so my wonderful sponsors at Barnana Chips were so kind uh, to send me a care package with some wonderful snacks and wonderful chips of various kinds, different snacks to try. And I've been saving one for a while that I've been, been dying to try. And it's the organic plantain chips, spicy mango salsa, their kettle cook style chips. So I'm gonna do a live uh, first try, a live taste. Uh, and you can get my instant reactions to these chips. I've been dying to try these chips. Here we go. Open up the bag. Give a smell test. Ooh, ooh I can smell the, the sweetness, the, the, the spiciness. Okay, here we go. First chip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I like that a lot. The flavor is a little subtle. The spice is kind of subtle, but you can taste the sweetness of the mango right away. But that spicy mango kind of the salsa um, kind of creeping up in the back. I can feel the spice in the back of my the back of my mouth right now. It's really good. Um, it's not overpowering the mango, the sweetness, but the salsa taste together. Not overpowering, but a nice kick, you know, um, be good to have a glass of water with these, but I'm not feeling like, oh my God, I absolutely have to rush out and drink a glass of water right now. I like that, that subtle spice uh, and it combined with the sweetness. So let me give another chip. Good stuff. Good stuff. So check these out. They're Barnana spicy mango salsa their kettle style chip. It's fantastic. I would give it like an 11 out of 10. I don't know. Is that fair? But check it out. Thanks, Barnana.
All right. So I want to kind of talk about sort of, you know, at least things that I have seen in, in my community as far as where I live in Oklahoma City. Like, for example, my wife and I, we live off of I-44 in May, you know, North May currently. Uh, we recently moved not far from, you know, I-44 and North Penn. And just from like my perspective, it seemed like both of those areas appeared to be growing in terms of the population of unhoused individuals. Like I can recall like living near Penn, seeing the same people there for years. I mean, two or three years of living in the same address and seeing the same unhoused people. So, I mean, to me, that just screams like red alarm, like the system is not working. So what I'm curious is like, why are certain parts of the city seeming to draw, like are drawing more homeless, unhoused people? Like, I mean, are, are, and then are there other spots besides the ones I'm describing? I'm sure there has to be besides the two I'm describing, but is there, is it, is it maybe that there, it's easier to set up camps or is it just access to resources or, or what's going on here? I think there's all of that is involved. Um, you know, my main people are down um, in the downtown Oklahoma City area. And I feel like the majority of them are in that area because of the resources available to them within walking distance. Also, there's a community down there. So um, it's really hard. Like when I experienced homelessness, I lived by myself and um, it was it was difficult. And I, you know, think sometimes, Hey, if I would have known that there was this flourishing community down here, maybe I would have come down here. And so I think that's a lot of it. I see people kind of congregate in different areas and they all seem kind of like-minded if that makes sense. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I feel like you're probably going to see hot spots up here wherever it's easiest for homeless people to survive. I mean, think about if you're experiencing homelessness, you need to be close to somewhere that has public transport access. You'd probably want to be close to a shelter or somewhere that you can get food. Um, so that would be my best guess. But I think, um, you know, I like uh, Jessica's idea, like as far as setting up designated spaces for people to just legally and safely exist outside. Um but I think it's also important to talk about like how we can come up with long-term housing solutions because when it gets to a point where it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, you know, not everybody can just be outside. And it's like, the problem is we have to start looking at how to prevent the problem. And it's rooted in capitalism and how the housing market works with private property ownership. I mean, this is apparent when you look at the fact that there's literally 18 vacant empty, empty housing units in Oklahoma City for every single person experiencing homelessness. What? There's literally for every single person, there are 18 houses just sitting there. And then you ask yourself, who owns all of this housing? And right. why are they, why is it legal for them to just hoard multiple empty apartments and housing units while some people don't even have one home? So I feel like the housing market in and of itself is an issue. I feel like a housing market should not even exist. Um, and this is a radical idea for some people, but, but housing should not be sold um, or bought for a profit because it is a human right. Um, so, you know, until we can completely redo the system and talk about how we can make housing completely free and paid for for those who need it or at least af affordable um homelessness and housing insecurity are always going to be an issue i mean even as far as resources for people who are on the verge of becoming homelessness there really isn't much there um i have a friend right now who is attempting to leave a domestically violent situation and you know there's a local like resource center I think it's called Palomar um, but when they called this place they pretty much just offered her to go to a homeless shelter with her four children so it's like again it's this issue of there's just no affordable housing available to people so it's like at a certain point you really have to figure out how we can make that available for people right sure. and that's where we've been coming in with the um 
the sober living communities, you know, we're seeing a lot of people transition into a sober living community because it's so affordable. I mean, people are going into a sober living community and they're paying, you know, around $150 a week and they're sharing the space with other people. And then the utilities are paid for, they supply um, coffee, cleaning, supplies, toilet paper, things like that. But once again, that is not an option for everybody, you know, um, not everybody is sober and not everybody wants to be sober, but I feel like Mm -hmm. if we have some kind of, um, incentive for people to move into a community housing like that, and also if getting sober was part of that, I just really feel like, um, I've seen a lot of success with people that, you know, are homeless and they go to drug treatment and then they transition into sober living. Um, I've seen tons of success with it. And so I wonder, like, are we just pouring the money into the wrong places? Because what if we poured the money into mental health and addiction services, you know, and got people stable enough to where when they did receive housing, they were able to maintain it, you know? Yeah, it seems like... And maybe this is just a consistent theme of this conversation that, yes, there is things in place to help, but it's kind of a Swiss cheese approach. There's just still so many holes, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's really none of it seems to be addressing the underlying problems. You know, I think kind of uh, like Bailey said, it's this, you know, uh, it's a a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. I mean, until we make real changes, structural changes, it's unfortunately probably not going to get any better. Um. Mm -hmm. Kind of a couple big picture questions I want to ask, and these are really like really big picture. So any way you want to address it is fine. But I'm just curious, like, you know, living in Oklahoma um, and especially Oklahoma City, you know, we live in one of the I think the weirdest states in terms of like weather and climate. It's just one day it's great weather. And then an hour later, it's like really cold and windy like it was, I think, Tuesday. Um, So I'm curious, like, what role is something like climate change playing in the unhousing problem in Oklahoma City, which, I mean, you know, again, answer that however you'd like. That's kind of a a really big question, but any way you want to take it. Yeah, I think, you know, climate change will mean climate migrants. And this is a big issue that a lot of people are starting to talk about now. Um, As temperatures rise and extreme weather events become more frequent, people are going to be trying to escape uninhabitable climates where they literally can't survive. Um, a lot of that is going to be on the coast um, and places that are already experiencing extremely hot temperatures and droughts and things like that. So without any sort of cost control when it comes to housing, landlords and property owners are just going to be able to continue to jack up the prices on housing so that only the people with money can afford to have a place to live, while the number of people experiencing homelessness is going to inevitably you know, increase as more people are migrating due to climate change, you know, within the next decades or hopefully we have longer than we think, but (laughs) we'll have to see. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. So this is kind of another big picture question. And I'm curious what each of you think about this. Um, I can kind of venture to guess maybe what your response might be. Um, (laughs) We recently reelected Governor Kevin Stitt. Uh, oh, I say we. I did. I did not vote for him, and I probably would guess. <laughs> yeah, you, I would guess neither of you did as well. But I'm curious, what yeah. does re-election of Governor Stitt mean for the unhoused, uh, you know, population? Maybe, maybe as a state or as a city, however you want to take it. Yeah. Well, oh, go ahead, Jessica. Sorry. I was saying, you know, like my my experience with him in office, you know, I've seen the problem grow and grow and grow. And so I just can just only think that if nothing changes, then nothing changes, you know, um, that's really how I feel about it. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's fucked pretty much. I mean, with Stitt being reelected, if, if you're trans, if you are poor, if you are someone who needs an abortion, you're fucked. I mean, but the, the, like, Stitt is a capitalist. He is mostly interested in making Oklahoma good for business owners and just creating more of these low-paying jobs than he is with people's quality of life. But um, I want to touch on this because I feel like, truth be told, 
fixing this issue um, and eliminating poverty in general goes so far beyond electing any single politician, um, whether that be a governor or a senator or a president. Um, any politician um, who is not explicitly anti-capitalist or at least interested in implementing some sort of social or public housing legislation with the immediately immediate goal of housing everybody um, is not going to fix the problem or make it any better. Um, there's just this underlying profit incentive um, that is at the root of everything uh, under this capitalist system that we're living under. So the system itself is rotten um, and it's important for people to realize that this is not an issue that we're going to vote our way out of. Um, we have to come together and, you know, figure out how we can start to dismantle the current system and build something that is actually community led. Um, we need to be figuring out how we can democratize like the governance of our resources, including housing. Um, so really figuring out, you know, how can everybody have a say in how these resources are spent and used? How is, you know, how are we going to center the voices of people who are most affected um, by these sort of things? So um, I think we really need to start focusing on community more so than electoral politics, because truth be told, like politicians are not going to save us. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Go ahead, Jessica. And I read well, I just was thinking I read something and it said the revolution will not be funded. And um, yes. I love it. it's so true. And we got <laughs> that is a great resource. We have to build something completely different. And I feel like there is a lot of us within the community that are on the same page here. Um, you know, I I work with a a thrift store. It's called Second Chances Thrift Store. And um, I work with them a lot. And the same kind of thing, like it's just community based. And she feeds homeless people out of the thrift store, gives them clothes. Um, any of my people coming out of prison or going into sober living can go out there and shop. And, um, you know, just things like that. I think about we, you know, we put people in hotels when the weather gets bad. And I think about like, how much we've accomplished with very little money between the organizations that work together we get so much done and mm -hmm. i just think like oh my gosh what could we do with 200 million dollars you know like, right <laughs> I, mean, yes. I mean i don't know i i see those little self-locking pods that they have in the uk they're like 1200 dollars, and i think to myself I don't know. I'm not like a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure we could have bought one of those for like every single person and gave them somewhere to put it. Like, right. um, and these saved people, sheltered people from the extreme temperatures because we can't afford to put everybody in hotels when the weather gets bad. And honestly, not everybody is willing to go. They right. want to stay with their animals. They don't want to abandon their camp. They don't want to lose every little thing that they have, you know, collected. And people die. And what happens is people get extreme frostbite in their hands and feet, and they end up having to get their feet amputated, and then they end up dying. And I've lost so many people out here that I love and care about. And it's because they don't have shelter. And nobody seems to really be like, understanding the emergency of it we've been planning on this maps money that was allotted for housing the homeless for years now and it's still in the design process and in mm -hmm. the meantime people are dying and they're like well we're still planning it you know and yep. it's like i don't know yeah wow. it's not happening at the pace that nearly the pace that it needs to happen at sure yes so, yeah so this is kind of a good segue because my next question, I'm, you know, I was kind of jump going to jump into this topic. You you mentioned second chance, you know, a secondhand, you know, a thrift store that's helping directly to solve this problem. I'm just curious, are there other organizations besides obviously community solidarity, OKC, sandwiches with love? Those are obviously out, you know, doing wonderful things too. But are there either individuals? Or organizations maybe that are better at addressing the problem of homelessness like for example what organizations would would make the most sense of making donations to like i think of an organization like sisu for example i've heard lots of wonderful things about them my rugby team has done some uh, coordinating you know donating events with them um 
And but I've heard like I've heard some things about other organizations like like I think it was Goodwill. I heard that like a really small portion of like their profits even go to addressing some of these bigger issues. So I'm curious, like, again, what individuals or what organizations do you think are kind of making the most effect? And if you're going to donate somewhere, where should you put those donations or resources to? So definitely to the organizations that don't have millions of dollars in overhead. I mean, because what happens is that money trickles down and it barely makes it to the people that it's intended for. By the time they're spending it on their buildings and their employees and their directors and their board and their this, there's none left. And so I always work with grassroots organizations, people that are out in the streets, people that have a connection with the people. They know they have relationships with people. They know what they need. People who have been there themselves, who understand the dynamic dynamics of what it means to be homeless. I had had housing when I was in my addiction and I could never maintain it. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually had somebody give me an apartment right before I got clean and I couldn't stay clean there. Um, There's so many underlying issues. So second chances, we work with an organization called Bags of Love. They basically do exactly what we do. They just hit different areas of the city than we do. Um, There's a lady named Jody Berge. She does awesome outreach. Um, There's a new organization called the Oklahoma Phoenix Project that is um, founded by a lawyer that I know. And... um, they are also doing the same thing, going into the community, providing resources necessary to survive. Um, you know, all of their money, they actually had a fundraiser last night and raised quite a bit of money. And, you know, all of that, 100% of that money is going directly to the cause. And I really feel like that is where the most progress is being made. People who are doing it because they have... They have it in their heart that this is what they're supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I was going to say Bags of Love is a great one. Um, Those two ladies have experienced experienced homelessness themselves as well. So, you know, um, grassroots, like Jessica said, um, I would not give your money to the million dollar nonprofits. Um, It's kind of an unpopular opinion, but, you know, give give if you have a few extra dollars give it to the person on the road experiencing homelessness who needs it who's begging for it and let them have the autonomy to spend it how they want it or need it i've been in situations where you know i'll pull up to someone and i'll buy them something from a fast food joint and they'll be like oh do you have a few bucks i'm like no i can get you some food and they'll be like no i need a few bucks for the bus ticket so don't just always assume that if you give someone who's homeless um money that they're going to go spend on alcohol or drugs because you don't know what they need to spend it on and also even if they do spend on alcohol or drugs okay like they are a grown adult that is their grown ass adult decision and you know we have to stop policing we have to kill the cop in our head um but I do think that this would be like a good opportunity to kind of touch on the uh nonprofit industrial complex because this is something that Jessica and I have been talking a little bit about recently um but it's it's pretty much like a system of relationships involving um the owning classes the state um different foundations and different nonprofit organizations so while you know these nonprofits such as the homeless alliance or city rescue mission these are the big ones that you know of that seem like they're promoting social change Um, a lot of times they're perpetuating the same colonial and capitalist structures. So pretty much the system, it allows for the ruling classes to still be in control of these billions of dollars of private and government money that's been designated for the public good, but it's subject to pretty much no public control. Um, So instead of what we need to be doing, which is moving towards a system where marginalized people have direct access to these resources and that money so that they can recognize their own needs and decide how it's spent. Under this system, they're made reliant on these same hierarchical systems um, and, and people that often don't have their best interests at heart. And it reinforces this idea that, oh, only rich people are smart enough to spend this amount of money and manage these resources when in reality, 
a lot of these board members and directors, they don't live in these communities. They're not marginalized. They have never been homeless and never will be homeless. These are millionaires, business owners, investment fund managers, high up executives. And oftentimes what happens, um, they you know, can be directly benefiting from this current for-profit housing market that we have. On a lot of these boards, there's people on them who build million-dollar homes or work in real estate. So, of course, if you're profiting off of this current system, then your stake isn't in truly changing it immediately. Um, And Jessica sent me a really great video the other day. Um, I think the title of it was like homelessness is a scam or something. And it was, we can link it in the show notes if anyone's interested, but it was pretty much talking about the homeless industrial complex and how a lot of times people figure out how to funnel this money from nonprofits into for-profit businesses and they can essentially extract a profit from this money that is supposed to be going to marginalized people. So, you know, I would say um, a lot of these multi-million dollar nonprofits, their interest is really in just maintaining the status quo and quite honestly dragging this problem on as long as they can profit off of it. Um, and, and they're not revolutionary. They're not interested in ending this problem anytime soon. And that's, that's not to call, you know, that's not to say that there aren't good nonprofits doing good work, but it is so important to know that we cannot rely on them to liberate us. Like we cannot nonprofit our way out of this situation. So, um, like Jessica said, the revolution will not be funded. We can definitely link that one as well. That's a great resource that kind of dives more into that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with everything. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just saying agree with everything she said. Um, there's, I I often wonder like what the numbers mean. You know, like in order to qualify for a certain amount, they call it a sludge fund for the homeless. Like you have to have so many people experiencing homelessness to get. I think they were in that video she was talking about. It was um they were specifically speaking on New York City. And I think they had a one point something billion dollar sludge fund for homelessness every year that was a federal fund. And so you have to show that your city is experiencing this much homelessness in order to get that money. And so Mm -hmm. is there truly, you know, do they truly want to end homelessness? Is there an incentive to continue getting billions of dollars to just only do the bare minimum. Yeah, that is quite the conflict of interest there. I have a feeling I know which way things will slide whenever you have so much money at stake. I mean, that is just very uh, illuminating, but also kind of depressing to hear as well. And please, I would love to share these resources out in the show notes. So um, we'll definitely plug those in at the end as well. So um, I just have a couple more questions, maybe one, you know, staying with the topic and then another question that's a little lighter Um, So I'm just curious, like, so if someone's listening to this right now, um, and they want to learn more about community solidarity, they want to learn more about sandwiches with love, or they want to find out a way to kind of get involved uh, in in addressing the problem of homelessness in Oklahoma City, uh, where, where where can listeners go or where can listeners find you all? Well, um, Sandwiches with Love has a Facebook page, an Instagram page. Um, we have a website, but it's just very basic. Um, I update super regularly. Um, I try to share stories that I um, experience in the streets. Um, I'm not a very, like, I'm not a super political person. So I try to like stay out of that. But um, we do need volunteers from time to time. Um, definitely, you know, different donations throughout the year. I mean, it just depends on the weather, what we need and also what people are requesting. But um, I try to keep my page, my pages fairly personal. And, um, you know, I just encourage everybody to follow us so they can kind of see what's actually happening out there with the people and get to know some people because I feel like a part of the for me, I know like a part of my healing was being reincorporated back into society. I had completely dropped off from everybody and everything. And so I had to feel a sense of connection to even want to be involved in the community again. And, um, you know, lots of times I have 
people who are homeless who do outreach with me. And I just love that because they know where places are that I don't know. They know people I don't know. And it gives them a sense of feeling like they're useful to do something, you know? So yeah, yeah just follow our media pages. Awesome. I'll throw those in the show notes as well. Thanks. Yeah. Community Solidarity has an Instagram. Um, and I would say that kind of like Jessica said, community is everything. Like connecting with the people around you is everything. Um, we are <laughs> very political. And I, I think um, I think the issue of homelessness and poverty um, is a political issue. And it, it can be hard to talk about. But I think that, you know, part of the ways in which we can start to address this is to talk about it, you know, talk with each other about why and how this system is failing us. Um, talk with each other about starting to imagine a new system in which housing is truly treated and regarded as a human right that everyone is entitled to. Doesn't matter if they're working, doesn't matter if they're sober or not, you know, it's a basic human need. Um, so organize yourselves, talk to your neighbors, get to know your community. You can follow us. Um, we're building um, a small community together now. And I would say, um, you know, educate yourselves. Um, the, the issue of housing for everyone is so much more than just, you know, getting the couple thousand people who are on the streets off the streets and saying, okay, you know, we can get them to be a working member of society and get them paying rent again. Um, there's actually a 2021 study from the University of Chicago that estimated that, that half of people experiencing homelessness have either full-time or part-time jobs. So this is so much bigger than assimilating people back into the workforce and just getting them paying rent again and just going on with the status quo. Um, so, you know, there's so many resources online that talk about what housing justice can look like um, and what policies we can start to adopt that move us away from this for-profit housing market that excludes poor people and moves us more towards a democratically owned community governed system of social housing um, and so you know that's going to involve creating some sort of mass resistance in order to challenge this this you know what can feel like such a huge and and you know, undefeatable system, but we can start to build dual power. We can start to build these robust networks of mutual aid with the work that like Jessica and her people are doing and the bags of love people are doing um, and just community care that can start to like delegitimize this system. Um, and we can start taking care of each other and meeting our own needs. But I feel like that all just really starts with community um and and building like networks of trust and care and building these relationships so that we can carry out these goals together fantastic and i'm so happy that you all are out there doing such wonderful things building community talking about this subject because yeah i think it's a problem that's it's not gonna like you said earlier we're not gonna vote our way out of it we're not gonna nonprofit our way out of it it really starts with you know the actual people in the community so um, one of my last questions, I ask this of everybody who comes on the show, regardless of their background, regardless of what they do or what they're doing. Uh, what are you each watching, reading, listening to these days? Any piece of content you're just really excited about? Maybe a TV show you can't get enough of or a book you're just excited about? Any way you want to take this at all? I've been reading Dolores Cannon books and uh she's like a past life regressionist and um, hypnotherapist. And um, she just has some really cool, she, she's discovered a lot of things about the universe. And, um, you know, I feel like we're here collectively. A lot of us are here collectively to do this work, to raise the consciousness. Um, sometimes I wonder if like, I'm going about this all wrong and I need to be, <laughs> from an energetic standpoint you know and um so anyways that's what I've been reading awesome love you. I love that that was so beautiful Jessica um right now I am watching Shameless on Netflix binge watching it again um I think it's one of those things where it's like it their lives are so messy that it almost and it's fake of course which like kind of helps you take your mind off of like real problems so 
maybe that's why but um <laughs> I'm also listening to this new podcast it's called building our power um mm-hmm. and they are queer radical communists and they do like an educational podcast about like different leftist ideologies and community organizing and revolutionary shit which is pretty cool um but they're doing a reading of George Jackson's blood in my eye right now which I feel like is such a good read and yeah so it's pretty badass Awesome. awesome. I love these questions. I'll have to check. All, I'm going to have to check all of this stuff out because it all sounds wonderful. So, all right. Thank you again so much to Bailey Colbert and Jessica Ann Laster from Community Solidarity, Oklahoma City, from Sandwiches from with Love, excuse me, for joining me today. Links to everything just mentioned are going to be in the show notes. So please check that out. Uh, you know, get involved, learn more about your community, you know, um, you know, that's, that's the way it's going to take, it's what it's going to take to solve this problem. So uh, we're wrapping things up here. This makes episode 56 of Knowledge Brew Supreme. I am your host, Dr. John Chansey. My goal is to get to 100 episodes. I'm past the halfway point, only 44 away from reaching my goal. Thank you for listening today. Please share, subscribe, and review. Be good, be safe. Peace out.